You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, sugar. I'm Erica Michelle. I host a voice diary called Brown Sugar Diaries on the Rock Candy Network, where I spill all the tea about my daily experiences, life lessons, my journey to healing and wholeness, my life as an entrepreneur, student doctor, CEO of a nonprofit, and I give my opinion on the current happenings of the world. You see why I have this voice diary? I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Tune into Brown Sugar Diaries wherever you listen to podcasts, and let's sip on this tea. Or wine. You'll cook your business, sugar, okay? This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. All right. Well, it is October, which means it is spooky season, maybe in more ways than one. Trump, as we are recording this, has coronavirus and, uh, you know, societal breakdown might be imminent. But it is also spooky season in the more fun way. And so I will be talking to Simon Widdup about that very soon uh, to celebrate Halloween, to celebrate Satanism and everything dark and, and spooky and scary. But before we get to that, I first have to, as always, thank my patrons. My patrons are the lifeblood of this show, especially right now, because I am working less. I manage a grocery store. I am working fewer hours there to reduce my exposure to the public, to stay safe. And I'm not teaching yoga anymore. So one of my jobs is now non-existent, and the other job has been drastically cut short. And so that means that I'm now relying on my patrons now more than ever, and every little bit helps. So for this episode, I have to thank Brock, Melissa, Nate, Chrissy, Helena, and Rich. You are all my personal lords and saviors, and I really could not do this without you. But... Maybe you want to support the show, but you are in a difficult financial place right now, as many of us are. A lot of people are in a similar situation to me. Maybe you aren't working at all. The economy is trash right now, and I totally understand if you are unable to give to an artist right now. If you find yourself in that situation, then... There are several ways that you can still support the show. One is to just subscribe wherever you listen, be it on Spotify, on Stitcher, on uh, Apple Podcasts. No matter where you are, no matter where you're listening, go ahead and just subscribe to the show. And that tells our digital overlords that this show is worth recommending to others. Uh, and, and that will help the show grow. And then another way to do it is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Now, I will read a five-star review right now. Anahata Moon 78 says, his podcast has become my favorite one out there. I just can't get enough, and it seems that it doesn't matter what the topic is or the release date. Stephen is equal parts intelligent and down-to-earth. He is so well-spoken, 
and funny, articulate, on the right side of history, and so open and honest. It's simply refreshing to listen to someone who seems so very authentic. I would give more than five stars if I could. Between the host, the guests, the co-hosts, and the range of subjects, jumping on board sacred tension was the best decision I've made in a while. Hail this podcast and hail Satan. Very, very sweet review. I really feel like after reading that one out loud, though, I need to uh, I need to get a negative review. I need to get a really nasty review and read that one out loud to kind of balance it out. So if you leave a review, I will read it on the show. Every little bit helps. All right. Well, with all of that finally out of the way, I am delighted to welcome Simon Widdup. Is that right? Simon Widdup? That's, that's right, Stephen. Okay, beautiful. Simon Widdup to the show uh, to talk about his newest project, The Poet from the Black Lagoon. He is a poet. He is also a Satanist and a horror aficionado. How's it going? Well, all things considered, Stephen, things are going all right. <laughs> all, yeah, you know, it's super weird because I feel, and I've been feeling this way all year long, where it's like there's this dissonance between my personal life and then the world. Because my personal life is actually fine. You know, like things are pretty good in my personal life. And then I turn on the news and I look at the world and it just feels totally overwhelming and awful and and so there's like this weird dissonance between my my personal life being pretty great and then the world feeling like it's on fucking fire yeah it, it, it's like the whole it, it's almost like a cartoon you know where the character waits up go downstairs they're having the breakfast having the coffee it's all pleasant and lovely and then they just sort of open the curtains and smash cut to a nuclear wasteland it's, yes. i know we're not there yet but and the zombies are coming and you know before we know it coronavirus is going to mutate into something horrific and there will be actual zombies on the streets. So you are a poet and you are a Satanist and specifically you you focus a lot on horror and kind of horror pop culture. What got you into horror? What what sparked this love inside of you? Like most 90s kids i was just brought up on vhs so from a very early age um aliens the terminator terminator 2 again mm -hmm. very sci-fi horror but just those gateways in and even from an early age i wasn't scared i wasn't bothered by them i want to know how they were made so seeing the work that stan winston used to do that rick baker used to do that tom savini used to seeing that and seeing how that all came together that's what pushed me further in. So as I got older, finding the Hammer Horror stuff, finding the classic Universal Monsters stuff, B-movies, slashes, it, it's, it's just an addiction. It is an addiction. So I only watch horror. Um, I, I just did a solo AMA episode and someone asked me, so what do you, what do you, what do you and your partner enjoy doing together? And really like one of the foundational cornerstones of our relationship is horror it really is and i remember john this was this was recently i mean this was in the past year i remember john and i we were on the couch watching some terrible splatter b horror movie <laughs> and and he just turned to me at one point and was like i love how at the beginning of our relationship we thought that the thing that brought us together was jesus because we were both christians at the time yeah you know, he was like, you know, I thought that, you know, I love how when we first got together, we thought that what made us compatible was Jesus. 
when in fact all along it was this. <laughs> it was splatter movie. It was it was it was terrible B horror movies, and th- like that was actually the subcurrent beneath it. It was our love of horror and our love of schlock and our love of just terrible movies. I mean, you know, of course we also love good horror movies, but we have a we have a special fondness for really really bad horror. And that has been the consistent thing through our entire relationship. And now neither of us are Christians, and we look back and realize, no, actually it was horror all along. <laughs> That's it. I mean, to be fair, that that's the same for for me, for me and my partner, Kaz. We we just love horror, and it, the and the the book. I know we'll probably come on to it, but that's where this collection actually started last year. Mm. We basically last summer. I it was a really weird time for me because I was made redundant from uh, a job in retail, um, and I sort of went from there straight into doing uh, my debut. Uh, one-man show um, over in Manchester and it was just such a buzz you know I've just won my first award for the show I'm doing a week-long run and then I came home and sort of reality hit a bit because anyone that works in in theatre and the arts and musicians know you're booking six months down the line so coming back in the summer I'm emailing venues I'm just getting out there as much as I can all I'm getting back is we're not doing for this sort of six-month period we're getting ready for spring summer 2020 um so one weekend she just turned around and said right you pick a horror film that i've never seen i'll pick one that you've never seen and we'll do a double bill one weekend and i i hold my hands up i had never seen the original poltergeist the original toby who you, you know what i have also i have never seen the original poltergeist it's brilliant i've Again, seen i've seen bits and pieces of it here and there so i feel like i i have enough to kind of make a mosaic of the movie in my mind <laughs> but i've never actually seen the the movie from beginning to end it's brilliant again you look at the behind the scenes stuff and see how terrifying it could have been and you know yeah. did steven spielberg really direct it and all that sort of thing and from there that just sort of perked me up and a couple of weeks later uh, I wrote one called Baby Be My Poltergeist because uh, she shares her name with the little girl and she has had people say to her, oh, Ca- uh, Caroline, oh, like like the little girl from Poltergeist. <laughs> now this is uh, your partner. Yeah. This is your partner yeah. who shares the name yes. with. Okay, cool. Yes. So I wrote Baby Be My Poltergeist. I wrote another couple of others, went off to my publisher and we, the idea was it was going to be uh, a very short collection of chat book hmm. that we're going to bring out last year. And I thought, well, no, we'll see what happens with the show. We'll try and do the show instead. Obviously, 2020 hit. So instead, me and my publisher, editor, we we sat down. We, I just kept writing and writing and writing. And we hunkered it all down, narrowed it. And it turned into the collection that it is now. And we said, right, fuck it. Let's get it out for Halloween this yeah. year. No matter what happens, let's just get something out. Because it, the world needs a bit of relief. It does. And th- so the book is called The Poet from the Black Lagoon, which is a yes. fabulous title. I was reading it today and last night. I was I was flipping through it. And it's super fun. It's like super campy. It's It's like Rocky Horror kind of camp is the vibe that I was getting from it. And so... What are what are all the influences that went into this particular book of poetry? So it was a mix of just watching sort of films that I'd never seen before. So after doing that weekend, we kind of did it for sort of through the rest of the summer. But then 
at one point I had to go into the loft to sort of sort some boxes out. And in there I found all my old Cannibal Corp CDs, all uh-huh. my old sort of Cradle of Phil CDs. Uh-huh. And I just sat there and I just sort of re-listened to some of these old albums. And that just spurred on more stuff. Um, I was rereading some Edgar Allan Poe stuff, uh, rereading some of the Lovecraft stuff some of the Cthulhu mm. mythos. And... Which, which is your favorite Lovecraft, by the way? Because I recently worked through the complete fiction. I still need to rework through it, but I do have a fondness for the Mountains of Madness. Me too. I, I think Again, because that because... was my my first one. That was, that was yeah. I think, the first, the first Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos story that I really delved into. And so that was really formative for me. It, it's, a, it's, it's a favorite one of mine. And I, again being the sort of horror nerd that I am, it's that what if of if Del Toro had got to make his version uh, back in 2012. Yes. Um, there's little tidbits that come out, and if you Google it, there is an image of the mutant penguins. They built a full sort of puppet yeah. that, he's, that he's got on display, and it just looks so grotesque and brilliant. And it's a shame we haven't got to see that on the big screen yet it really is yeah we really i i was so sad when del toro wasn't able to make that i'm gonna look that up real fast del toro penguin just out of curiosity oh man that does look incredible yeah that's great okay cool um yeah so uh mountains of madness is great um, Color Out of Space, I think, is yes, one of my the, favorites. Shadow the Out Nicholas of Time. The Cage film was brilliant. Did we you like that? that. By I the way, enjoyed it. I enjoyed I it. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I, I can't it, wait for the next one. Same. <laughs> and um, cool. So go on. You were going through through the various inspirations for yeah, so this book. I just sort of went through all that, and then um, up, then we discovered Twin Temple and. We just love Twin Temple. We love mm. their stagecraft, what they do. I sort of then delved into the lore around ghosts as so, well. So the Twin Temple, for people who don't know, Twin Temple is this amazing satanic doo-wop band. And, and so it's like satanic jazz doo-wop, and I love it. And and the lead singer has like this very Amy Winehouse kind of voice. And anyway, it's great. Sorry, go on. No, if you honestly, if you haven't listened to Twin Temple yet, you need to. It's an experience. When live shows start back up again, go and see. And it. and watch their watch their stuff on YouTube as well because they they do ritual performances and it's just super cool. So you were going to mention Ghost. Ghost happens to be my personal favorite. I fucking love Ghost. I know we um we had a bit of back and forth on Twitter about this the other day, didn't we? Um the what Tobias has done, and again, I know there's stuff that's happened with past studio band members, and yeah. th- there's a bit of, well, they were better before this album, but you know what? I just love it. I love what Tobias has done, because I love world building. That's why I loved My Chemical Romance, and I still do, because of the world build that Gerard Way did. I just appreciate being able to sort of delve into just more than the music, but again, that's just the nerd. That's just the nerd in me. <laughs> <laughs> I I get it. Um, so I am often asked, what is it about horror that that draws me to it? Why do I just watch horror? And I, I struggle with this question because to me it's so intuitive that the, the joy that I find in horror is is deeply visceral, but it's also kind of inexplicable. It, it's really, really, really hard to put to words. And so people are 
mortified when they find out that I just watch horror. <laughs> they they are absolutely horrified. And, you know, they'll say, oh, you should watch, you should watch so-and-so, you know, you should watch, you know, Call Me By Your Name or whatever. And I'm like, well, it isn't a horror movie, so I probably won't watch it. It doesn't matter how good of a movie it is. If it isn't a horror movie, I just don't want to see it. And so <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at that's where I've been for like the past five years. Um, I will almost watch, I'll pretty much not watch a movie unless it is a horror movie or if it's a really bad movie. Like I'm a, I'm a big fan of terrible Christian movies. That's, that's another soft spot for me, but that's maybe the only other genre that I can get into is terrible Christian movies, (laughs) terrible evangelical movies. In trying to articulate my love of horror, I find the aesthetic comforting for whatever reason. I yeah. I find it comforting. I find it soothing. In fact, like John and I have turned our house into a kind of a horror museum. Like the the living room is completely horror themed. I I find I I what I what many people experience as traumatic, I experience as pleasant. <laughs> I don't know why. You know what I'm saying? No, no, I get it. It's it's that level of escapism. And like I say, for me, looking at effects, that's why, mm. put it this way, I, again, I hold my hands up to this. I am more, not spine tingle, but I'm more creeped out at the scene in Pinocchio when the kid turns into the donkey. Yeah, that's than terrifying. I am, than I am a, a werewolf in London. With yeah, the transformation scene. same. And I don't know, I, I cannot place my finger on what it is. There is just something about that scene that I still struggle with at 30 years old. Yeah. But you give me a Friday the 13th, you give me a Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that looks brilliant. Yeah, exactly. I don't know there, what it is. I don't know what it is either. And and so, like, I'll I'll talk to my friends and they will say, oh my God, no. When I... When I saw this movie, I couldn't sleep for months, and I'm like, I love that movie. That it's great, and I and I wonder. There's there's part of it that I, you know, I, for example, I lived through a shooting. I survived a shooting when I was 19 years old, and um, and I grew up the son of an exorcist. My my father, uh, was an exorcist, and so while I don't believe in the while I don't believe in the supernatural, the world that I grew up in was pretty terrifying. You know, it was it was a world full of literal demons or i which we you know or we believed that the world was full of literal demons that could possess people and then i would i i remember attending exorcisms that my father would do and it was terrifying it was absolutely horrifying and so i feel like i really did just grow up in a terrifying world <laughs> you know there's there's an element yeah. to it for me where it, where i think horror is comforting because the world is terrifying and and um you know i had this experience back in 2007 this was right after the sh- the shooting i was in and you know i did a whole episode about that with my friend matt langston and uh, it's it's way back like a hundred shows back or something, but people can can hunt that down, and I I go into that story in depth. But a week later, <laughs> after the shooting, I'm back home. I'm I'm back home from Colorado, and my friend uh, Nels, also known as Ida Carolina, the incredible drag queen, she is like Stephen. I know that you've just been through a shooting, and you've just watched people get shot to death. 
but we are going to see Sweeney Todd. And you can, and and she was like, if you need to hold my hand, it's fine. If you need to tell me that it's time to leave, it's okay. Just let me know. But she was like dead set on seeing Sweeney Todd with me. And so I went to see Sweeney Todd and... And of course, there are some very gory scenes in it. And it's about like this ruthless serial killer. And I and I was just in the aftermath of encountering a killer, you know, of encountering a mass killer. And I found watching Sweeney Todd cathartic because it put the killer safely behind the screen, you know, it. And, and so there's something about there's something about horror where it it puts it safely behind you've, the screen you, because then you've got almost that level of control haven't you exactly if you need it to you exactly. can stop it you can pause it you can forward fast you can rewind you're in control you're in that. control you're in control when you watch a horror movie you can always walk out you can always pause it but also you can you can study it you can study darkness and you can study evil in a way Absolutely. that you can't when you're in the middle of the experience. And that that was what I think was so cathartic about Sweeney Todd for me was that, you know, here's this killer for the first time. I can finally look him in the eyes and kind of begin the process of understanding a, a mass murderer. Yeah. You know, and, and that and I think many other reasons. But but still, even when I explain that to people, they're like, I still don't get it. Why would you do that to yourself? willingly? And I, I wonder, I really wonder if there's like some neurological thing where it's just our brains, the, the brains of horror fans are just wired differently. Well, that's it. I mean, during the start of like the lockdowns and stuff like that, a lot of the streaming sites were saying we're having an increase in people wanting to watch pandemic based films <laughs> yes it's yeah weird. i remember that but again I've, I've talked about this with my friends i don't know where in, t- in terms of horror cinema where are things going to go next because are we going to want a break from zombies are we going to want a break from mm. um sort of from pandemic films are we i know sort of scream five's happening are we going to get a new nightmare on elm street are we going to get yeah. a new jason uh, you know what i mean are we going to go back to 80s slasher or will people want a pandemic based film Hmm. to sort of almost cathartically deal with what we're collectively going through have you read the introduction that stephen king wrote to the shining um no the uh, the shine's on the bookshelf yeah so the the shining uh, of course iconic and wonderful but he wrote a fantastic introduction and you know i i forget for which edition it was it was one of it's one of the newer editions of the book that he wrote this introduction for and he says that real life horror real life tragedy which happens all the time has kind of this blinding reality to it you know there's there's like this blinding quality to say a car wreck or a plane crash or a child having cancer or your parent dying, you know, reality is fucking brutal. You know, reality and the realities of mortality and disease and death and income inequality. Basically, he goes on to say that horror is a lens through which you can you can look at reality because reality raw is just too much. It's too blinding. And so we need these filters 
to of the ghost story, the 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 monster story, the we need these filters to be able to confront the human condition. That's it. I mean, again, as as a really sort of broad stroke example, look at a lot of the fifties um B movies and, and atomic monster movies, they were very thinly veiled. McCarthyism propaganda effectively, you know, oh beware of the other this this thing that looks like because it's going to come and get us and you know we can now look back and go right it's, it's very thinly veiled communism you look at invasion the body snatchers but then you look at something like the thing especially the john carpenter one and you could now apply a sort of a a covid mindset and again i, I don't mean this in bad taste but you could look at a covid mindset and apply it to the thing and you will see that sort of that paranoia, you know, this is a, a almost a disease that is getting inside us and yeah. is changing, and anyone could be affected. Same with Alien. Same with yeah. Same with Hellraiser. In a way, you know, like I think Hellraiser actually has a lot to do with HIV/AIDS. I think I think Hellraiser has a, you know, it came out during the '80s, and I think it connects a lot with the with the public's terror of of HIV/AIDS. Um, Definitely. But that, yeah, that's just me. I. And and so it, it's like you can so basically what I'm hearing you say is like with with the example of the thing you can read modern terrors into these stories and it still be incredibly cathartic and and kind of counterintuitively it can be empowering for people. Yeah, in a weird way it can because again we know the human mind works in brilliant extraordinary ways <laughs> and and in very counterintuitive ways like it doesn't it do, well it, and one way that i try to that i've tried to put this you know michael pollan who is a food writer he talks about in one of his books i think it's cooked he talks about what he calls the erotics of disgust and the erotics of disgust is it has to do with fermented foods and how every culture has a particular fermented food that every other culture on the planet sees as just absolutely revolting. But your membership in a in this culture means that you love this particular thing, be it like pickled lamb's head, or you know just something grotesque, or or a you know a really pungent cheese, or. It doesn't or, you know, like a fermented liquefied loaf of bread or whatever <laughs> it is, you have this 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 liking for the disgust and it's cultural. And he calls this this relationship that we have with fermented foods, the erotics of disgust. And and I think that there is something very similar that happens with horror movies where it's just like somewhere in my brain. There's something about this, you know, like a great example is the movie Terrifier, where I, yes. where just horrific, like that movie actually gave me nightmares. I I actually was having dreams about Art the Clown, <laughs> and but I fucking loved it. Why would why do I love a movie where a woman is turned upside down naked and sawed in half by a, by a deviant clown? Like why the fuck am I into that? And I really think that there's something about quote the the erotics of disgust that that there's something in my brain that that is well, that experiences it. it as pleasure go all you have to do is go back and look at like the saw films and the hostel films and there was that whole yeah thing of oh it's it's torture porn and to an extent you can understand with the saw films because the first saw is a 
brilliant almost psychological film. I mean, the twist at the end. Yeah, it's genius. It's fantastic. But then the further the franchise went on, it just became about, right, okay, we did this kill last time. What can we do to top it? <laughs> what kill can we do this time? But that's it. What how what do we do next? And it just it got lost. I mean, don't wrong, I'm looking forward to the Chris Rock one, that that spiral sort of spin-off, but it's not, it's a sequel. Obviously that should have been out like what last month. Sure. Obviously it's not happening now. <laughs> but yeah, it, and those films just kept grossing in terms of numbers and they kept grossing out the audience. But we kept going back to seeing the general public kept going and the critics just kept saying, why are you watching these terrible films? Because we can, because Mm -hmm. we enjoy them because we know these things aren't real because it's so ridiculous. The way that these people are getting bumped off. This is something that can't happen. I also just think the public are perverts. Of course. Like, like people are just perverts and want to see this shit. That's just the way it is. You know, I exactly. remember and that's fine. It's it's fine that the public are perverts. And you know, there's this really interesting moral issue there where people are afraid that and the same is true for true crime. Like people will always give these high-minded answers for why they're really into true crime. Does that make sense? Well, we, yeah, we're fascinated by the deviancy. I, I don't know if this is aired in America. I think it might end up on BBC America or whatever your equivalents are for the, for the channels. But um, over here, we've just had David Tennant playing uh, a British serial killer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what's his name? Des, what's, what's the name um, of the serial Des, killer? Des, bear with me, just let me check my uh, notes. Dennis Nielsen, that's it. That's right. Dennis Nielsen. Um and that, and again, it could be a mix of that no new programs being on through the summer, but the three-part drama was the highest viewed drama yes. ever on of ITV. Of course, because we're fucking perverts. Because we're in. Because the the human mind is deviant, and that's just the the way it fucking is. For the same reason that the number one book in like human history is uh shades of gray (laughs) or (laughs) like you know and it's fine it's the taboo in it it's that it's yes exactly taboo essence of it (laughs) and people people are like oh you know why do we why do we read about ed gein Uh, and and people will try to give some philosophical answer when it's like no, you're just fascinated by a dude who butchers women and wears their their skin as clothing. Exactly. And but here's the thing. My personal philosophy with this is that we people who are horror fans in my personal experience tend to be some of the most moral people I know. Absolutely. And I Absolutely. think they tend to be some of the most moral and and nuanced thinkers i you know i don't want to i don't want to take the you know to take this too far into hyperbole but in general horror people tend to be upright citizens in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect and i think the reason for this is is because being a fan of horror means that you have a very clear idea of what's right and wrong and and what is real and not real. And and so in order to to engage in horror as entertainment, it forces you to think deeply about what is right and wrong. And I and I wonder if 
if the engagement with horror can actually make us better people. You know, I, I wonder if engaging with horror can actually make us more ethical because it forces us to think and to it forces us to confront the monster. And fantasy is not the same thing as behavior. Fantasizing about serial killers or or engaging in stories that we love about serial killers is not the same thing as condoning them. And I sometimes wonder if the act of engaging in horror and doing the the hard cognitive work of of parsing out what's wrong and why something is wrong actually in the end makes us healthier moral beings. I don't know what you think of that. What's your take? No, no, on no, that? no. I think so. I mean, again, this I, I agree with what you're saying because this is coming from personal experience. All of my friends that are horror fans, I would I'm going to use the phrase I would trust them with my life. They yeah, are same. The most articulate, genuine people i mean you've only got to because you look at some of like the big conventions some of the big horror conventions and look how many of the actors and actresses from over the decades will always say i will always come back and do this con because of how nice the fans are i want to give back to the fans and they all they're you know they all have their charities and they all have their their passions for humanitarian work almost like without fail <laughs> you know they're yeah. they're all very humanitarian and I don't know. Like, I think of my partner who is a bigger horror fan than I am, and he works in suicide prevention. And so it's like during the night, he is engaging in, like, truly horrific media. And then during the day, he's talking people down from ledges. And there's a connection there for me. There really is. Watching my partner, there's a connection between the work he does in suicide and his love of horror. And I feel like one helps the other. You know, I feel like it actually helps him be like a better person. So what is, is so I know that you probably don't have a single favorite horror movie, but what if you had to decide right now, oh. what, what what is your favorite right now? Stephen, why are you doing this to me? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I have never seen that one. The old black and white one? Yes. Okay. Um, I was lucky enough to see it in 3D many years ago when the 3D craze happened. Yeah. And it's just wonderful because it is so 50s. It's just so, what's that <laughs> over there? Where? There. And just you know, spears. <laughs> just the words, just hands. Oh, but. It's the creature works fantastic. It, it's a fairy tale. You can understand why, again, Del Toro sort of made a quasi remake in Shape of Water. He took it to its full sort of potential. Yeah, he took but, it. He took it into. Um, he, I remember watching an interview with him or or about him about that movie and how when he was a little boy he was he was watching Creature from the Black Lagoon and this scene where the creature is swimming beneath the woman and she doesn't know. And it was in the mo in the original movie, it was supposed to be like super chilling and terrifying. But as a little boy, he was watching that and thinking, oh, that's so romantic. Like... It is because I think there was some sort of moral panic from the censors at the studio where they're like, this is quite clearly sex. The directors were like, they're not, they're just, it's just two people swimming. Don't know what you're on about. <laughs> just two people swim well a person a monster swimming yeah that's all it is yeah i um i'm trying to think which um which which horror movie is my favorite at present i i honestly don't know i i couldn't i right now i have been very into 
the films by Ari Asher, um, Hereditary and Midsommar. Those... We wa- yeah, we watched Midsommar the other week. We did the, the director's cut. And again, we enjoyed it. We, we got it. But then we, we watched The Lighthouse at the start of the year. And we want to go back and watch The Witch and The Lighthouse back to back as well. Because them two films are just brilliant. Yeah, I watched The Lighthouse and I feel like I need to rewatch it. Some <laughs> the first time I was I saw it I was like hmm I'm not I'm not I, it was I mean it was brilliant and I enjoyed it but I'm like I feel like there was a lot there that I that I probably missed. How does Satanism? How does how does your love of horror feed into your Satanism? Oh, you know I've never I'll be honest I've never thought about it that way. I think I think like you said earlier. The moralistic side of things is, you you know, being able to look at something subjectively and be able to say, right, this is good, this is bad, this helps me understand what is good, what is bad. It's it's annoying to see, you know, Satan being the bad guy in every other supernatural horror film, and but you know, it, speaking of that, yeah. do you find it interesting? So. I have a pet peeve with supernatural horror because I feel like a lot of it functions, and I and I wonder if this is the influence of The Exorcist. A lot of it functions as almost like Christian propaganda. A really good example of this is the Conjuring films. I I feel like the Conjuring movies ultimately exist within kind of a fundamentalist Christian worldview. Yes. But again, with something like that, you go right back to Dracula, you know, even back then, you know, the whole thing of the cross will yes. <laughs> stop the, and again, when you start to look at things, not even subjective, but when you start to peel layers away, it's the power of Christianity is stopping the foreign intruder. Right. When you go right back to Dracula, but you're right, Every how many supernatural films is it? It's it's the crucifix, it's the power of of good and light that will stop these demons yes and and you know it's 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 the name of christ and and mother mary and and um you know i for example my father i think was very influenced by horror by supernatural horror and you see this kind of feeding in to each other with supernatural horror and then fundamentalist christianity i i really feel and and while fundamentalist christianity often denounces horror there is still this weird symbiotic relationship that it has um where the the world of deliverance ministry and exorcism is very influenced by pop culture it is it is very influenced because you expect the robes you expect the crucifixes yes holy what and again it's it's so hollywood but then that's what it comes to expect yeah but if you want to see sort of an inversion of all this uh, have you guys seen uh we summon the darkness Wait, wait 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 say that one more time uh we summon the darkness no i haven't seen that I won't spoil it. Okay. Uh, Johnny Knoxville is in it. Uh, Knoxville plays um, an 80s TV angelic, and it's all set within the 80s Satanic Panic. Oh, nice. Go and watch that because I, but I don't want to say too much, but you'll you'll like it. I, I'm looking forward to it. 
came out in 2019. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I'll check it out. So do you feel like your Satanism and your love of horror just kind of grew up naturally together and, and they were just kind of, and maybe they don't really interact or they don't consciously interact? Well, I, d- I wouldn't say the do, but again, once I start to sort of get this, articulate this, because for me, again, growing up in the in the 90s, you know, being brought up around Marilyn Manson, Cradle of Filth, you know, yeah. we saw these satanic images, you know, like Manson tearing up the Bible, Cradle of Filth just going hellbent for leather with their whole shtick. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a weird way, Manson was my sort of beginning awareness of LeVay because obviously, you know, there were rumours that, that LeVay and, and Manson were intertwined, they had these secret meetings so, sort of as I came into my teen years, it became the whole thing of, oh, have you read the Satanic Bible? <laughs> oh, no, have you... So your, so, intro, so your intro to Satanism, like many of us, was, was LeVay. Such a cliche. Yeah. Yeah. So I read... this. Well, again, I tried to read the Satanic Bible when I was about 16, 17, and I admit, I didn't quite get it sure. because I just wasn't in the right mindset. I, I was like, oh, I don't get this. And then a couple of years ago, I re-picked up and sat back down, read it, understood it, appreciated what it did. But there was just so much I couldn't get bored with the individualism because as a socialist, as someone who's been brought up as a carer, I just couldn't suddenly switch and go, no, I'm looking after myself. I'm I'm completely with you on that. You know, I, I appreciate... I appreciate the legacy of Anton LaVey. I love his aesthetic, but I I am not that. I, I don't hold to that philosophy at all. Yeah. So like many others, I then saw the documentary. I, I, I heard about Hail Satan and I watched it and I was just like, this is it. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. Sort of went from there. I I found the the allies, uh, the UK allies group. Hmm. Um, towards the back end of last year, joined, and things have just gone from there. Yeah, yeah. I joined very quietly in 2017 because, uh, and qu- I say quietly because I I was a Christian writer for a decade, <laughs> and. You know, I was, and so I was in this really weird place where it's like I was still very much part of the Christian world, but I was starting to identify more with Satanism. And I was, I was a non-theist at that point. I was a non-theist, but, but there was this weird, there was this period where there was like, I was in this, in the middle of this very weird Venn diagram of Christianity and Satanism. And I guess in a way I'm still there, you know, I guess in a way I'm, I don't, I don't try to push away my Christian influences. I embrace them because to me, and I talked about this with William Morrison uh, about the process, Church of the Final Judgment, I feel like TST Satanism is very much about the reconciliation of opposites. And so for me, it is, I embrace Christianity, certain, certain elements of Christianity, I should say, and incorporate them into my Satanism because it, it's, for me personally, it is about that reconciliation of opposites. And 
you know, that's one way in which Marilyn Manson was a huge influence on me because Marilyn Manson, of course, his whole idea was was the coming together of binaries, the coming together of opposites. And so it's it's in the name Marilyn Monroe and Charles Manson. And so putting putting together like the most glamorous icon and then the most notorious killer, putting them together in one name and creating this new entity. Well, that that is very much what my Satanism is. I forgot what got me onto this tangent, but I yeah, no, I forget why I was talking about that. But yeah, go on. But yeah, I mean, I I wasn't brought up in a in a Christian household. This is the weird thing. A lot of the schools over here in England, I mean, the, the now a lot of them are, are academy systems. It's a whole fucking mess. But I went to a Church of England school because a lot of them are there. And it's sort of, you know, hymns every day. You do the nativity every year. You go and do stuff for the Harvest Festival. So it was always sort of there, but I wasn't, that wasn't getting reinforced anywhere at all. Yeah. My, it's weird. There was this sort of culture that things were expected, like christenings and weddings in a church. It was just, because I've spoken about this with my parents, it's just like, it was just the dumb thing. So I was christened as a child, as a baby, but speaking to my mum about it, it's like, well, it's kind of your aunties and uncles expected it. Well, why did they expect it? Well, just, I don't know. They kind of expected it to happen. It's just what you do. It's just yeah. cultural. So for me, again, having the bringing that I've had in terms of socialism, trade unionism, you know, sort of collectivism, mm. um, being a carer for family members um, that have been in bad health, that sort of guided my moral compass because I'm like, right, I need there is a responsibility for me to look after these people but i'm still valid i can still do i can still take me time as well as i'm not having to just be this one person yeah that makes sense and i i'm totally relating to what you're saying because i felt like i personally felt like satanism was inaccessible to me because the only satanism that i had encountered was levian satanism and it wasn't until 2017 that I discovered that that there were entirely different schools of Satanism that, you know, maybe LaVey is the primary founder and and the first one who really turned it into a social codified movement, I guess you could say. But that doesn't mean that it's the only kind. And and so I I remember kind of from the age of 16 resonating with Satanism, resonating with the concept of Satan as the anti-hero, the ultimate outsider, that clicked for me really early on. Even when I was a Christian, it clicked for me. But uh, I felt like Satanism was inaccessible to me because of what you were just talking about, the the intense individualism, kind of the Ayn, Randian, Ayn Randianism of Anton LaVey. And and so I felt I felt like Satanism was inaccessible for for me because of that for a long time. And it wasn't until I f discovered the Satanic Temple that I realized that, no, there are different kinds of Satanism and that this is accessible to me. Well, that's it. And I mean, this is the thing as well with the with the UK chapter, because hi, guys, by the way. Hi. They, this is a surprise. Um, they. From the people that they that have again they've come through COS and come into TST and we've got other members that have said you know the, the sort of the same path that, that we've both seen that they understood LeVay's interpretation but it was just that 
individualism they just could not get on board with but then we've all come together and it's just it, it is one big happy family of strangers yeah it definitely is and it's a it's a community of individuals and i think that's one yes. reason why it's so it works so well and granted a bunch of satanists being together it can be like herding cats like i'm not denying that at all <laughs> it can be very ugly sometimes but that's true of any community. And I think that, you know, one of my favorite authors, Jaron Lanier, he's a computer tech guy. One of the things he says all the time is, be a cat. Cats were not domesticated. Cats approached humans and were never, were never domesticated. And so cats always have had kind of this mystique to them, this intense individuality to them they are their own beings but they still exist with us they still exist in households they're still our pets <laughs> absolutely and and so what he says is be a cat be an extreme individual and uh i like to think of the satanic temple as a uh, church full of cats <laughs> a church full of intensely unique individuals who um who enjoy each other's company exactly honestly it is we again especially through all this our group chats have been full of just memes uh -huh. recipes film recommendations um We've had just YouTube watch parties. You know, we've watched some of the um, sort of the, the old Satanic Panic uh, oh, hysteria they're, stuff. They're so good. Oh, we, so we've watched like in the name of Satan, exposing uh -huh. Satan's underground. You, you know, just having a, a laugh with yeah. each other, which we've all needed. You we, know, we I I was getting ready to leave Twitter. This was a year or two ago, but then my my Twitter started to become very inundated with Satan and honestly for the first time in years my for the first time in years twitter is fun because the satanic community is just so fucking fun and they have a fantastic sense of humor as well and and, and so it's like for the first time in years twitter is actually enjoyable because it's mostly made up of uh, of satanists now <laughs> That's, with, without a sense of humor this world would be incredibly dark but it also, won't. without a sense of humor, Satanism doesn't work. Like Exactly. Without a sense of humor, and that doesn't mean that it isn't sincere, that doesn't mean that it isn't earnest, but it's like Satan is the ultimate trickster god. And it's like he's a he's a Loki or a Pan figure. He's like the, the ultimate trickster. And so to, to be a Satanist, I think, means to have a pretty good sense of humor. I think that, that's, that's that's required. It, the, the tongue has to be firmly in the cheek at times. Yes, it does. absolutely. It, Which is why, you know, when when the Satanic Temple did the abortion raffle, some people were really offended by that. I thought it was fucking hilarious when, um, when they were raffling off abortions or, you know, the BDSM baby protest. That was the first, that was my first exposure to the temple, actually. Jack's, Jack's Blackmore's, what, what, what's her name? Name? Jack's Jack Jack's Blackmore. Okay, Jack's Blackmore. She um, you know, when she was still at the temple in Detroit and she did the BDSM baby protest where it's like a bunch of nearly nude adults wearing baby masks in bondage gear, flogging themselves and pouring baby powder and milk over themselves in public during 
a Catholic, you know, anti-abortion protest, I I got it. Like, and, <laughs> and that was the first thing that I have. John, my partner, introduced me to the temple, and he he pulled up this video and was like, "Oh my God, Stephen, you have to watch this." And I I don't know. It made sense to me that this was a very sincere and a, a a sincere religious expression of of religious identity and b a really fucking wicked sense of humor like those things coexist they're not mutually exclusive yeah that's it i mean look at look at the um the pink mask that lucian did as well um it's so fucking hilarious and uh, again I, I don't know if i'm wrong on this but I, I know lucian isn't always keen on on the picture being reshared at times is it but just the idea that he did to say, right, you are, I'm going to go, it's the whole thing of your mum, right, I'm not going to go for you because Phelps wasn't dead at this point. I'm just going to do this and I'm just going to piss you right off and I'm going to laugh while I'm doing it because of the fucking horrible things that you have done yes. to others. Yeah, the idea of the pink mass being, um, they, and this was when Fred Phelps was still alive, they went to the grave of Fred Phelps's mother and did uh, gay acts on top of the grave during in a ritual under the presumption of making his mother a lesbian in the afterlife, and then Lucian Greaves put his balls on the tombstone. He um, teabagged the fuck he, out. He yes, and now I think. And now I think he is like outlawed from Mississippi. I think if he's, <laughs> I think it, I I think he is banned from Mississippi or something hilarious like that. Uh, but honestly, of all the states to be banned from, Mississippi is a pretty good one. Um, all right. Well, we're coming up on our time, but this has been lots of fun. Uh, for people who want to see more of your work and uh, want to check out your book, where can they do that? Right. So this is, I'll try and keep this as simple as possible. So, um, Twitter, Instagram, uh, both are at Simon Widop Poet, um, S-I-M-O-N-W-I-D-D-O-P Poet. Uh, I'm on YouTube. Unfortunately, I haven't got a hundred subscribers yet, so I can't do a custom earl. But if you just type in Simon Widop Poet, I'll appear on there. Uh, there's my website as well. Uh, the book, uh, is exclusively available online at uh, Plastic Brain Press and their website is plastic-brain-press.com or again, Twitter and Instagram, you'll find the links on there. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out the book. It's a lot of fun and uh, follow him on Twitter and on YouTube and everywhere. All right, well, that is it for this show. I also forgot to mention at the very top of this episode that Sacred Tension is sponsored by the Satanic Temple.tv. Go to the Satanic Temple.tv to get all kinds of rituals and documentaries, feature films, live streams, interviews, all kinds of stuff. Uh, there's also some kinky stuff and some porn on there as well, if that's your cup of tea. And you can get one month free by entering my promo code Sacred Tension, all caps, no space, at checkout. Please take advantage of that. They have some amazing content. All right. Well, that is it for this show. The music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleven D Seven. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. They will, there will be a link in the show notes. And the artwork is by Ramakrishna Das. 
This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and we'll see you next week. Oh, my God.